the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. This is Ghost Echoes, a history of music with secret rules. I'm Matthew Parsons. Have you ever noticed that most stories of the apocalypse don't actually depict the end of the world? Think of Ragnarok the apocalypse of Norse mythology. The old stories tell of a bloody war where powerful gods meet their doom against giant wolves and serpents. But ultimately, two humans survive the cataclysm to repopulate the earth. Think of the Christian apocalypse, the Great Tribulation, where mortals will face famine and pestilence and the sea will turn to blood, and in the end, Jesus comes back to make everything okay. We are an optimistic species. Even in our stories about the end of the world, the world doesn't actually end. In reality, it will. Even if we overcome our current challenges and fail to annihilate ourselves through climate change, we have a paltry 600 million years left at the very most. At that point, the increasing heat of the sun will render our atmosphere unlivable. And even if we escape from the floating rock that spawned us, the heat death of the universe will come for us in the end. We cannot imagine a cosmos without us. But to the cosmos, our absence poses no problem at all. This is the end. This voice belongs to the German singer Nico, best known for singing three songs with the Velvet Underground and hanging around with Andy Warhol. Maybe you've heard the original version of this song. It's by The Doors, with lyrics by Jim Morrison. It's called The End. It's the last song on the first Doors album. Francis Ford Coppola used it to set the tone at the start of his Vietnam War epic, Apocalypse Now. I never look into your eye 
again. By the time Nico recorded this cover version, Jim Morrison had been dead for three years. Nico and Morrison were close. They dated briefly, and it was Morrison who finally convinced Nico to start writing her own songs. At the start of her career, Nico had a glamorous quality that everybody wanted a piece of, but she had no control over her artistic destiny. Morrison pushed Nico to take control for herself, and she recorded this song as a tribute to him after two full albums of original material. In a desperate land. She also wrote her own song about Morrison's death. On You Forget to Answer, Nico sings the same five lines of lyrics over and over in different configurations. She's describing the feeling she had when she tried to reach Morrison on the phone one day, only to learn that he was dead. The high tide is taking everything, Nico sings. It wasn't the first time she'd felt like that. Is it true that you travel around with a portable sound recorder? I'm really looking for something specific. I'm looking for a sound I heard when I was a kid. Not that sound in particular, but, you know, the quality of it. Nico's father fought for the Nazis. There's some debate about how exactly he died. The most common story is that he was injured in battle and then his commanding officer shot him. As Nico's aunt put it, that was common practice under Hitler. Any man who wasn't fit to serve was useless. When the Allied bombing started, the two-year-old Nico fled with her mother and extended family to a forest on the outskirts of Berlin. They were close enough for Nico to hear the buildings collapsing and the crackling of the flames. The sound of Berlin burning haunted Nico for the rest of her life. It was a sound that wasn't really a sound. It was uh, many things at the same time. It was, um, it was the sound of defeat. In 1997, a Taiwanese UFO cult moved to Texas to witness the incarnation of God. The religious group Chen Tao, or True Wei, dates back to the early 90s, 
when a sociology professor named Chen Hong Min began preaching a combination of Buddhism, Christianity, and science fiction. He claimed to have found a young boy who was the reincarnation of Buddha. Seemingly, he came pretty close to finding the reincarnation of Jesus, too. Chen saw him in a vision. A 28-year-old man from Vancouver, Canada, of all places, who looked exactly like Abraham Lincoln. Chen believed that the world had been through four nuclear apocalypses already, and during each of them, the faithful were rescued by God in a flying saucer. In 1997, Chen was anxiously awaiting the fifth apocalypse, and that's what brought him and his followers to Texas. Specifically, they moved to a town called Garland, because its name sounds like Godland. Chen believed that in 1998, God himself would appear in Garland, and also on Channel 18 of every television in America, whether they had cable or not. When the appointed date came and went with no appearance by God on television or anywhere in Texas, that we know of. Chen did something that disproven prophets don't normally do. He admitted he was wrong. He said, Because we did not see God's message on television tonight, my predictions can be considered nonsense. But he didn't mean that his whole belief system was nonsense just that he might have put a bit too much stock into his own ability to see the future. The world would still collapse in a flaming inferno as it had done four times before, and by the grace of God and flying saucers, the world would be reborn. know who Nico is. Chances are you learned about her because of a very narrow sliver of her creative life. You may know her from the stories of The Factory, Andy Warhol's studio, Creative Hive, and Muster Point for weird New York scenesters. Or more likely, you know her from the Velvet Underground. Cause everybody knows the thing she does to the first Velvet Underground album is one of the most influential cult albums of all time, but I'm sure I don't have to tell you that. The Velvets were Andy Warhol's pet rock band, and he thought they needed more sex appeal. Enter Nico. Her deep, heavily accented and occasionally out-of-tune singing was an odd fit with American rock and roll, even with as odd an American rock band as this one. The band's main creative forces, Lou Reed and John Cale, were not always thrilled about her presence, her singing, or her tendency to delay the start of the show with her long dressing room candle meditations. But to Warhol, Nico was perfect. Not merely beautiful, but beautiful in exactly the way Warhol appreciated. 
distant, chilly, affectless, like Warhol himself. Nico sang three songs on the first Velvet Underground record, and as far as most of her generation was concerned, that was the bulk of her contribution to music. When the band parted ways with Andy Warhol, they left Nico behind too. But Nico wasn't finished with music yet. Less than a year after the Velvet's debut, Nico put out a solo album, Chelsea Girl. Chelsea Girl is a classic 60s symphonic folk record, which was not the kind of record Nico wanted to make. Her demands for drums and heavy guitars fell on deaf ears with the label. Instead, the album is layered with sweet-sounding strings and wind instruments. Here Nico was. A solo artist now, and not just an add-on to a band that didn't want her. And still, she had no control. Because she didn't write the songs either, they're all by men, many of whom Nico was romantically linked with at some point. Still, Nico sings the hell out of some of these songs. These Days by Jackson Brown is all numbness and casual ennui. Nico sleepwalks through it, and she's never sounded better. Yes, I seem to think about how all the changes came about my way. But when you get to the end of the album and she's singing Tim Harden's eulogy to Lenny Bruce, I've lost a friend, and I don't know why. You can't help but wonder if she cares about this song at all. Imagine being in Nico's position here, forced into and out of a band she had no stake in, having no creative control over an album with her name and face on it, and being obliged to sing about other people's feelings, other people's friends. It's no wonder that all it took to send her down a whole new path was a gentle nudge from Jim Morrison.
Well, I, I only sang three songs with them. The rest of the time I was, I was playing the tambourine in the background. I did the same thing when I was a model. I, I was there for my image. This isn't Nico's voice you're hearing. It's the voice of Trina Durholm, the actor who plays Nico in the 2017 biopic Nico 1988. My life started after the experience with the Velvet Underground, when I started making my own music. The movie focuses on the later years of Nico's life and highlights how her most dramatic struggles and her greatest creative successes both happened after the moment when she drops out of the popular imagination. Her struggles included a severe heroin addiction and an attempt to reconnect with her son, who she was unable to raise when she was younger. He grew up with his paternal grandmother. And her successes included a triumphant trio of solo records produced by John Cale, The Marble Index, Desert Shore, and The End. Into numberless reflections Rises a smile from your eyes Into mine These records are all based around the sounds of Nico's harmonium, an Indian keyboard instrument with a hand-operated pump like an accordion, and on Kale's arrangements. Kale's approach to symphonic instruments has more to do with modernist art music than with the sweet symphonic folk sound of Chelsea Girl, and this time, Nico approved. Kale's arrangements aren't the only link these three records have to the classical tradition. There's also this. Since the first of you and me asleep in a Nibelungen land, titanic curses trapped me in a banishment of state. This is an outtake from the Marble Index called Nibelungen. It alludes to Richard Wagner's epic cycle of music dramas, The Ring of the Nibelung, the greatest apocalyptic story in the classical rep. But before we get to that story, there's a dark alley we need to walk down. Another connection between Nico and Wagner, and a regrettable one. Iron forces strike the alarm for the various defenses that choose to be here. If you know one thing about Wagner as a person, it's probably that he was a nationalist, a virulent anti-Semite and racist, and that years later he was an inspiration to the Nazi regime. The regime that Nico's father fought for and which may have been responsible for his death. Nevertheless, Nico appears not to have heeded the lessons of the Nazi era, in the years since her death, some of Nico's colleagues have told stories about her racist behavior towards black and Jewish people, which makes this musical performance especially disconcerting. This is the last track on Nico's fourth solo album, The End, 
which is named after the Jim Morrison song she covered. The song you're hearing is Das Lied der Deutschen, the German national anthem. This third verse is still considered Germany's national anthem today, but Nico's performance contains the first two verses as well, including the one that begins Deutschland, Deutschland über alles, a dangerous and unwelcome sentiment in a country that remembers the Holocaust. It's hard to know whether Nico corrected her racism late in life, but she did engage in a rigorous course of self-improvement. After the end, she made two more albums. And between 1986 and 1988, Nico kicked her heroin addiction, reconciled with her son, and took up cycling. This period was Nico's true personal apex. Finally, she had the control over her creative life that she lacked during her War Holly and 15 Minutes of Fame. And she'd also found control in her personal life, which her addiction had made so elusive. If there's a message to take from Nico's story, it's this. You can struggle for control and for meaning in your life for decades, and you can actually attain it. And you can still die in a stupid and random way. Nico fell off her bicycle in Ibiza in 1988 and died from a head injury. She was 49. Will you spare the words for me to hear? The final part of Wagner's Ring Cycle is called Götterdämmerung, the Twilight of the Gods. It tells the story of how the age of gods and giants and dragons comes to an end, and the age of humans begins. Three operas previously, a dwarf stole some precious gold from the banks of the Rhine. He used it to form a powerful magic ring that changes hands throughout the entire story. But terrible misfortunes befall everyone who claims the ring. It is intensely powerful, but intensely cursed and it brings out the worst in every god, mortal, or creature who claims it. The last life the ring claims is the hero Siegfried. His wife, Brunhilde, decides to end the struggles for the ring forever. She puts on the ring, builds a giant, blazing funeral pyre by the banks of the Rhine, and rides her horse straight into it. As the heroine burns, the flames rise so high that Valhalla itself, the home of the gods, is set ablaze. The heat from the pyre boils the water of the Rhine, which overflows its banks to reclaim the gold that was stolen from it. The old gods perish in the fire. The earth is cleansed of their influence by a flood, and a new age begins.
are an optimistic species. Even in our stories about the end of the world, the world doesn't actually end. In reality, it will. But to hell with reality. Make me something. Play me a song. Show me that we're in the middle of the story. Tell me what to do next. And that is the end of Ghost Echoes Season 1. Roll credits! Thanks to Matt Muse, Aurora Tejeda, and Jimmy Thompson for their feedback on these episodes, and making it so I didn't have to send them out into the world unheard and unvetted. Thanks also to the folks at Consequence Podcast Network, and particularly Editor-in-Chief Michael Rothman for the support and for bringing me on board. You should check out some of the other shows on the network. My Way In was The Opus, a show where every season is an in-depth exploration of a single album's legacy. They've done Blood on the Tracks, they've done Bitches Brew. The current season is about Whitney Houston's self-titled debut. Take your pick. One more CPN-related acknowledgement. Thanks to Cat Blackard, the former director of the network, my first point of contact, and the first person to really believe in this show. Cap also designed the clear blue sky of possibility that is the Ghost Echoes logo. Thank you a million times. Thank you. And finally, thank you for listening, especially if you're one of the people who's been following along from the beginning. If you enjoyed the show, there's never been a better time to tell the world. Recommend it to your music nerd friends, your pop culture obsessed friends, Recommend it to that one friend who's always talking about how all podcasts sound the same. That asshole is my target demo. And it always helps if you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I have not even begun to think about season two of Ghost Echoes. It's gonna be a long hiatus, so help me build anticipation. In the meantime, I'm at MJR Parsons on Twitter, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, I think that's everything. Take care of yourselves, and I'll talk to you again sometime. We're coming low out of the rising sun, and about a mile out, we'll put on the music. Music? Yeah, I use Wagner. My boys love it. And the Romeo Fox Trot, shall we dance? Consequence Podcast Network.